This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is Peter and Tricia welcoming you to Great News and God's Views, a half-hour weekly broadcast on Free FM 89.0, independent community media. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's worship theme, God calls us to share his love with others. The Tower of Babel. Voltaire quotes a lady of the court of Versailles in a letter to Catherine the Great. What a pity that bother at the Tower of Babel got language all mixed up. But for that, everyone would always have spoken French. I don't think it's as simple as that. Consider the Tower of Babel more closely. The passage itself is very straightforward. Once upon a time, all the earth spoke one language. The descendants of Noah moved eastward to the Babylonian plains, settled there, and decided to build a city in a gigantic tower to make themselves a name and keep them from being scattered. They built the city and the tower, and God came down to take a look at this achievement. God decided this tower was a foretaste of man's ability to create whatever he could imagine. And so God confounded their one language and scattered the people. We read from Genesis 11, beginning at verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Go, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to... Let us build the city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will restrain from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the languages of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Amazingly, There is no further mention whatsoever in the entire Bible of this episode of building the Tower of Babel. It's popular in Jewish legends, however, with one account saying the tower was 70 miles high. Truly it was, as the name Babel means, the gate of God. According to Genesis 10.10, Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, made the city of Babel the centre of his kingdom. A legend says that God, when he heard of the tower being built, 
told the seventy angels closest to the throne to go down with him and to make the one tongue into seventy. One legend says that the result of this confusion of tongues was that a bricklayer would ask for a brick and his helper would hand him a bucket of mortar and get a brick thrown at his head for his troubles. The Lessons of Babel The overwhelming lesson of this story of the tower is that it reveals in a graphic fashion our sinful nature and why we whacked as God we do. They rejected God's will. It's obvious from the garden onward that God's intention for humankind was to scatter and have dominion over the earth. But Noah's descendant rejected that plan and determined they would stay together. That decision was unanimous, but it was an empty one. Here at the start of the story, we see humankind a solidarity we can only imagine. It's a very prosaic lesson in the fact that a group can be unified in the wrong direction and around the wrong goals. Simple unity is not enough. They were filled with humanistic pride. Humanism is defined in all sorts of ways these days, but in the sense that humanism makes human beings the measure of all things and self-sufficient, then the folk who built the tower were filled with a proud humanism. The tower was a monument to their illusion that they could do without God. Notice the reasons given for the building of this tower. To make a name for themselves and to prevent being scattered across the earth. Doré's famous biblical etching shows raising clenched fists to heaven. Josephus says Nimrod built the tower to defy God and escape any further flood. The whole project was human-centred from the start. Verse 3 makes a point of the fact that they did not use natural building materials but man-made bricks instead. Helmut Theoko puts his finger on the heart of the story when he says they had displaced God from the centre of their lives and thus unbalanced the spiritual centrifugal forces flung them into the darkness of the world. When they put God out of their lives, life like some old unbalanced clothes dryer began whirling faster and faster, thumping and shaking and flinging itself to pieces in the darkness. The Reversal of Babel now, if we stopped here, there'd not be much that's good to news or positive about this story. The sins of Babel left us with a barrier of language, and what happened on the day of Pentecost shows us how the barrier is removed. Sometimes we fail to examine the account of Pentecost in enough detail. At Pentecost, we see a group unified and with a dedication to a purpose. But as they preached, a miracle took place, either a miracle of tongue or a miracle of the ear, for people of over a dozen native tongues all heard the gospel in their own language as those Galilean fishermen preached. It was intelligible. It's at Corinth and in the modern phenomenon of speaking in tongues that speech is unintelligible, but not at Pentecost. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. At Pentecost the crowd asked, What meaneth this? Acts 2.12 here is what Pentecost means in the light of the Tower of Babel in each life. First, in Jesus Christ there is a true basis of unity beyond nationality or language. Second, when we put God's will for our lives through Jesus Christ in its proper and central place in our lives, we have peace, unity and purpose. Just as the confusion of language at Babel is the symbol of our putting self in the place of God, 
So the reality of God in our own lives through Jesus overcomes the barrier of language. The cross of Jesus in any language is taller than the tower. The cross of Jesus in any language draws men and women to it under the blessing of God. The cross of Jesus in any language gives security beyond this world. In the heart of the prophet in the Old Testament and the vision of the seer in the New Testament, the curse of Babel is lifted in the coming of Christ. Then will I turn to the people of pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Zephaniah 3.9 So Zephaniah. Then we hear John from the island of Patmos tell us how he saw heaven opened and the throne of room of God Almighty stretched before him. And the four and twenty elders sang a new song because God had redeemed his people out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. In Jesus there is but one language, the language of love, grace and forgiveness, spoken by the Holy Spirit in a way all of us can understand. Our first music today, Alleluia, Sing to Jesus. Written in 1866 by William Chatterton Dix, who was born in Bristol, England in 1837. For most of his life, he lived in Glasgow, Scotland, as manager of a marine insurance company. One of the many hymns he wrote before his death in 1898, of 30 of four or 40 are in common use today. Among his most popular are, As with Gladness Men of Old, to you, O Lords, our heart we raise, the manger throne, and what child is this, and the one we play now, Alleluia, sing to Jesus.
You are listening to Great News and God's Brews on 3FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. We continue with He Hideth My Soul. Fanny Crosby could not see with her natural eyes, but she could see with her heart. She could not explain what a human face looked like, but she knew the face of God. Blind from six weeks because of a surgical mishap, her life was different than most, but it was not worse than most. Fanny Crosby supported herself as a teacher at a blind school. She had dear and close friends around the world, and she wrote and published thousands of beautiful hymns, many of which are still sung today. Regarding a plight in life, she wrote the following words. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thanked him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight was offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung the hymns to the praise of God if I'd been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. He hideth my soul. Yeah. 
Experiencing Pentecost. There appeared to be a renewed interest in the subject of the Holy Spirit. It's good because there's a great need for him in our day. Arthur Moore stated, If the church is to rise to its fullest stature in God, if it's to enjoy the abundant life, if it's to meet all foes in the spirit of triumph, it must rely not upon its numbers or skills, but upon the power of the Holy Spirit. One could personalise that statement by simply inserting a personal pronoun in place of the word church. That insertion makes an impressive impact on an individual's need. We read from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation and heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own tongue. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocked, saying, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunk, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servant and my handmaidens will I pour out on these days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun should be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To experience Pentecost is to experience the person of the Holy Spirit. Our Trinitarian doctrine states the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is ever present, convicting humankind of sin, witnessing to our conversion and empowering believers to live victorious Christian lives. The power we possess does not come by what we've done or who we are or the denominational label we wear. Any power we have occurs we have invited the Spirit to dwell in us. When we gave our hearts to him, he empowers our hearts, minds, bodies and spirits. We become holy people living abundant lives because of his presence. The experience of Pentecost has a wonderful message of Jesus' presence. The disciples watched in horror as the Romans and Jews collaborated together to kill Jesus by crucifixion. These men lost their hope that Friday, when Jesus died on the cross. The resurrection of Jesus also brought the resurrection of their hope. After several days, Jesus took them up to Bethany and blessed them. As he was blessing them, he was carried into heaven. However, before he left, he promised to send the Holy Spirit so they would receive power. 
That power is the power of Jesus. Gordon Brownville tells us about Roald Adamson, the Norwegian explorer, who first discovered the magnetic meridian of the North Pole. He also discovered the South Pole. On one of these long trips, Amundsen took with him a homing pigeon. As he finally made it to the top of the North Pole, he reached inside the cage and set the bird free. Can you imagine the joy of Amundsen's wife back in Norway when she saw that homing pigeon circling the sky above? No doubt she exclaimed, He's alive! My husband is still alive! After the ascension, when Jesus had gone back to heaven, the disciples clung to his promise to send the Spirit. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit circled the sky, came through the doorway, and looked on the 120 in the upper room. The disciples had the continual reminder that Jesus was alive and at the right hand of the Holy Father. He gives us Jesus' presence all the time. That's the same message of Spirit today. The Spirit of Pentecost had a power. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples at Pentecost, it was with limitless power. As a Christian commits to God, his spirit increased as a power power voltage. What is that power? A. The power to love, even our enemies. In a Peanuts cartoon strip, Lucy looks longly at Schroeder and screams out, Guess what? If you don't tell me you love me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold my breath until I pass out. Schroeder casually looks up from his piano and quietly tells her, Breath-holding in children is an interesting phenomenon. It could indicate a metabolic disorder. A 40 milligram dose of vitamin B6 twice a day might be helpful. I think that's probably it. You need vitamin B6. You might consider eating more bananas, avocados and beef liver. As Schroeder finishes his thought, he returns to his piano playing without missing a beat. The last frame shows dear Lucy sighing and saying, I ask for love, and all I get is beef liver. Power-packed, filled Christians will give the word God's love, not a meaningless substitute. B. The power to resist temptation. When temptation approaches, it offers the possibility of sin. The Holy Spirit is like an alarm bell in the heart, reverberating throughout a person's entire being. He rouses the Christian to instantaneous action to stop sin from taking hold by giving one the power to say no to sin. Pentecost is the centre of holiness. Experience the glory of the Spirit's presence among us. Thank you for joining us today for great news and God's views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. We invite you to listen every Sunday from 9.30 to 10 for a presentation of historic Bible-based Christianity, highlighting preaching of the Word, classic songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. We have only the King James Bible, the authorised version. 89.0 is live-streamed from freefm.org.nz or TuneIn, and now on Amazon Echo devices using the FreeFM 89 Alexa skill. We would love to hear your comments on the show. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Our closing music today, This Is My Father's World, written by Malt B. Babcock, a pastor from New York, 
It was first published in 1915. This is my father's world. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.